Hello, and welcome to PwC's Accounting and Reporting podcast series. Our mission is to inform and educate accountants and other stakeholders on today's hottest accounting issues. I'm Heather Horn, a partner in our national office, and I'll be your host today. Today's podcast will focus on five things you need to know about accounting for stock-based compensation. The FASBs tried to simplify the accounting for stock-based awards in recent years, including issuance of an ASU last summer that aligned the accounting for employee and non-employee awards, but it remains one of the more complex accounting areas. So we thought it would be helpful to discuss some basic concepts and specific areas to look out for. Joining me in the studio today is Nicole Berman, a director in our national office who assists our clients and engagement teams with understanding the accounting for these types of arrangements. Before we jump into our detailed topics for today, I think one thing that might be helpful for our listeners is just to understand the scope. When we say stock-based compensation, what are we even talking about? Sure. So stock-based compensation under ASC 718 is any time that the company gets goods or services and gives either shares or has a liability based on the value of shares. And that all then falls in the scope of 718. And so that's for any type of award. It actually even also covers any time a shareholder or a parent company gives awards to your employee for their service or pays for awards on on your behalf. Those are called economic interest holders. And any time the company gets goods or services and shares or, or a liability to the value of a share is given, that falls under the scope of 718. So you're saying if I'm a subsidiary of a company and or doing the accounting for a subsidiary of a company and the parent company is giving shares to my employees, then I would need to include that in the financial statements of that standalone subsidiary. That's right. Okay. And then, Nicole, one other thing on scope, and I mentioned this in the intro, I know that last year the FASB actually issued an ASU, I think was intended to simplify things. So I know we used to have a much different model between awards to non-employees and awards to employees. Um, So can you talk a little bit about what changed? The FASB basically aligned, in general, the accounting for both non-employee and employee awards are all now going to be under the scope of 718. There's only a couple of really minor nuances that remain. We can hit on a couple of those later. But in general, the accounting is now consistent between employee and non-employee awards. And I think you mentioned that that it used to be more difficult under uh, the non-employee guidance. There was typically some mark-to-market accounting, and you might not even account for something, uh, an award with a performance condition until later. So those things will go away, and I think we might see some more non-employee awards in the future. So then what's the timing for adoption of the new ASU? So it's early adoptable for everyone. Uh, It's effective for public business entities for 2019 and one year later for non-publics. Oh, so for Q1, anyone issuing these non-employee awards will need to be focused on this, any, pub, any PBEs right. issuing those. Right. All right, very good. So with that, then, let's jump into our five topics for the day. Um, I think first thing, um, when we start to talk about the complexity of stock-based compensation, I know sort of step one is determining the grant date. Um, and that's fundamental to getting the right accounting. So can you help us level set and, I guess, remind us what we mean by the term grant date and then why it's so important? 
Sure. So we're starting with the grant date because that's the date that all the accounting begins. So we wanted to start with that because that's when we start accounting for an award, when you have a grant date. The accounting guidance tells you that that happens when awards are approved. There's a mutual understanding of the key terms and conditions. The company is contingently obligated to issue the shares or transfer assets if the vesting conditions are met, and the holder benefits from or is adversely affected by changes in the stock price. And so when those four conditions are met, you have a grant date and you begin accounting for a stock-based comp award. So you use the word contingently obligated. I know sometimes contingencies have different meanings in, uh, in GAAP. So what do we mean when we use that term in this context? In this context, it really just means the company has to give the shares if the holder of the award does what is required. So if they provide the service that's needed, the company has to give the shares. They're obligated at that point. So then, I guess... As you're thinking about grant date, it feels like there's a lot of places where things could almost, quote, go wrong. So what would you say is is tricky about this accounting? Sure. The the first thing I think about are awards that have kind of multi-year awards where maybe you have an award that's going to be earned based on a budget that's set next year. I mentioned one criteria is the mutual understanding of the key terms and conditions. That has to be met. And so if you haven't even set the budget for next year, you might not have that mutual understanding of the key terms and conditions for a multi-year award. And so you might have a grant date for the first year of that award, but years two and three, the holder doesn't know what needs to happen to earn that award. And so you don't have that mutual understanding and you don't start in the accounting for years two and three. So then the grant date for those awards would occur whenever those additional, that additional information is known and, and met. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Okay. What else then in grant date should people be thinking about? The other thing that comes up is discretion. So if the company has the ability to make changes to the criteria in the future or the terms are really vague, and that means that then the holder doesn't really know what they have to do, what has to happen to earn that award. That is all sort of discretion, and when we see any kind of discretion, it it sometimes can harm whether you have a a grant date or not. So it sounds like if I'm thinking about grant date, um, and particularly if I'm the one doing the accounting, then I really almost need to, it's, it's more than just, oh, we gave an employee or um, a third party piece of paper that said we're going to give you some awards. We really have to make sure all of these conditions are met in order for them to have a claim and for us to have an obligation we're reporting for. That's right. It's, it's, you have to follow those criteria. The award agreement might say the grant date is on a particular date, but it really depends on you know, whether you meet the accounting Interesting. Criteria. Uh, Interesting. So then um, I know there also can be different types of awards, and we can actually wind up with liability awards or equity awards. So for a second topic, can you explain maybe the difference between those two and how you might wind up in one type of accounting versus another type of accounting? Sure. In, In its simplest terms, a liability award is one that's paid in cash, and an equity award is one that's paid in shares. There are some nuances there that we can get into or maybe are a little more in-depth than we'll get into here, but that's the simplest term. Um, It matters because equity awards have fixed expense based on the grant date, whereas liability awards are marked to market over time. So you want to get that distinction right, and it really is 
around whether the holder has the risks and rewards of ownership. And so if the holder is going to be a real equity holder, then you have equity classification. If not, if they're getting cash or something else, that then that's going to be liability classified. So basically you're saying if on the grantee, the company is saying we are going to give you X number of shares, then from that point forward, no matter what happens with the stock price as an employee or the person being granted the shares, I'm the one who's getting either more or less, depending on change in value, versus, I guess, a liability award if it's based on some amount of cash, then whatever happens to the stock price, I'm going to get sort of what I was promised. Is that right? That's right. What if then there's a choice between shares or cash? What does that mean from an accounting perspective? It'll depend on on whose choice it is. If if the employee has the choice, the company could then be forced to give cash, and that, that might put you more in liability classification. If the company has the choice, then it could still be equity. It gets at then whether that cash that's being paid is at fair value, or um, if they're really holding that share for a long enough period of time, and the guidance calls six months, the period of time that you're then you're a real equity holder, if you've held it, if it's been vested for more than six months, then even if you pay cash, you might still have an equity award if it's based on fair value. Another thing that might come up is you have an award that's based on a formula price. Well, then that's not, you're not a real equity holder then. You're just getting a cash bonus based on a formula potentially. What else then, from a classification point of view, it can become complicated? Any other things people should look for? I think it's these repurchase features. I mean, we've been talking a little bit about, you know, when, when you have to pay cash, but that comes up when you have a feature that allows for a repurchase at cash. And who's got the ability to do that, the employee or the company, when it is, what value it is, all those things come into play when you have a repurchase feature. They are more common for non-public companies, but we see them on occasion for publics as well. Now I know um, my grantee and I know the classification. Um, What else will go into determining how much, um, when, and how much expense will be recognized? The, The types of conditions that are required are going to impact the accounting. The different kinds of conditions we have are service conditions, which is just providing service for a period of time, performance conditions, and market conditions. Performance conditions are based on something either the company has to perform or the employee has to perform. An example being, you know, the company has to hit a particular revenue target. Market conditions are all about the value of the share. And so maybe the share price has to hit a certain level or the company has to have a total shareholder return at some level. Those are more market conditions. And why that matters is because performance and service conditions are only taken when they are probable of occurring, whereas market conditions are the probability is actually baked into that fair value, and it's taken whether or not you hit that condition. So then if I'm an employee and I have some certain criteria I have to meet to get my award, then it would depend on whether or not it's probable I can achieve that or if the company can achieve whatever it's promised to do in order for that to be included. Mm-hmm. Right. So performance conditions, you're going to assess the probability of them occurring and, and then you take the full fair value. 
market conditions, that probability gets factored into the fair value and you take it whether or not that condition is going to be hit. So when companies set these awards, the accounting will vary depending on what type of condition you have. Wow, so obviously important to understand this and how much expense you might potentially be recognizing when you're structuring these different types of awards. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to mention was sometimes legal agreements will call something a performance condition when in fact, for accounting purposes, it's a market condition. So you want to make sure you know the definition of each and and get that accounting right. So it sounds like in general with these awards, it's really, you can read the agreement But the terminology used there, we really have to line up with our accounting terminology to figure out, I guess, the amount of expense. That's right, yeah. Okay, so now we know how much expense we're going to recognize. Then I think that comes to our fourth topic, which is attribution, or when I'm going to recognize the expense. So how does that work? Sure. So typically, it's over the service period. And... That's true for employee awards. I did want to mention that non-employee awards, uh, I mentioned that there were some uh, differences in the guidance remaining. Even though it's all covered under 718, they did bring over um, the concept that non-employee awards are attributed as if you paid cash. Really no further guidance than that. And so for non-employee awards, you're just going to attribute that in the same way you would if you paid that non-employee in cash. Whereas 718 has some specific guidance around how you attribute employee awards. And so if it is, if there is a service period, you just attribute that, can attribute that over that service period. One nuance I want to mention, though, is if you have a, either a performance or market condition award, then you might have um, some other specific guidance to, to deal with under 718. And that happens when you have graded vesting or tranched vesting. So if an award vests, let's say, 25% each year and you have a performance or market condition, you can't just spread that in a straight line manner over the whole four years. You need to do what's called graded attribution, which results in a more front-loaded expense. So then when you're saying that it's basically you're recognizing in year one some amount of expense related to each of the future years as well? That's right. right? That's exactly right. So again, I guess another place very important to understand what you've just promised in these awards um, in in terms of the potential accounting implications. That's right. Okay, very good. Um, So then, Nicole, I know we couldn't finish a topic like this without talking a little bit about tax, because I know there's some tax complications when it comes to uh, accounting for stock-based comps. So what should our listeners be thinking about there? So you want to think about whether an award is deductible by the company, and that will drive whether you have tax accounting to do for that stock comp award. Because there's different types of awards. There's incentive stock options and non-qualified awards. There's employee stock purchase plans. And there are some specific you know, rules in the tax code, like 162M, that drive whether or not the company is going to get a deduction. So if the company does get a tax deduction for these awards, then while you're doing your accounting for the, the compensation expense, you're also going to account for that deferred tax asset that you'll, you'll be getting when that award vests. And so you do that based initially on the grant date fair value of the award, and then you calculate what that deduction, what the tax effect of that would be, and you use you know, your, your typical um, 
valuation considerations in coming up with what your deferred tax asset should be over the service period, then when that award vests, you actually get the deduction when it either vests or the um, option gets exercised. And when you crystallize what that deduction actually is, any difference in what you already accounted for and that actual deduction would go then to the P&L. And then, Nicole, is this an area, are there any differences between awards to employees and non-employees in terms of deductibility or timing of tax recognition? There isn't any specific guidance, but I think it it does depend on whether um, the holder is providing goods versus services. And so I think the tax code delineates between whether you're providing goods or services. So you might be cognizant of what type of oh, conditions that you have. you're getting. Yeah. Well, I won't ask you to get deeply into the tax code. I was not expecting to get into the tax code in this podcast, but um, very helpful and, and definitely something to think about. So seems like, I'll ask you a final thought, but I almost feel like I could summarize to say that Really, this is a case that details really matter. And each of these individual items, you need to make sure how the exact terms of what you've granted really line up in terms of the, the accounting. Anything else to add? That's right. I mean, I think the FASB has tried to make it simpler, but it's still a complex area. So be careful of all the details there. Okay, good. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us in the studio today. I think very helpful topic um, for our listeners. And to our listeners, uh, we do have an excellent stock-based compensation guide that I know Nicole has been quite involved in. And I definitely encourage you, um, to the extent that you have questions on this, check that out on uh, CFODirect.com. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.